the Zone 3 podcast. Reggie, Robert, yes. we got Megan. Megan's a pacemaker nurse. She's hey down in Magic Corner. Thank welcome, you. Hi, welcome. Hi, Thank Megan. You. Thanks for coming. Yes. We invited Megan because we see Megan often. She's down in our department working with our pacemaker patients, and she's a pacemaker nurse. And today we're talking about pacemaker yes. um, and uh, compatibility with in the MRI field. So thank you for joining us, Megan. If you would, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? These sort of things. All right. So uh, originally I'm from Iowa. Hey. Uh, that's where I went to nursing school. Yep. Midwest. That's not corny at all, is nah, it? A little corny. <laughs> a lot of corny. Uh, corn fed. I graduated back in 2014 from nursing school. So been a nurse uh, about six years now. Um, Started uh, before that working as a monitor tech. So used to do teletech, watching rhythms, everything. Cardiology's kind of always been my thing. That's what I went into. Then after nursing school, um, got into doing the inpatient side mostly. Did that for a year in Iowa. Then I started working as a travel nurse. Uh, worked in uh, Oregon for a little while. Came down here to Arizona. That's how I started down here. Uh, lived in Alaska for a little bit. Then came back. Uh, and then I kind of got into a travel assignment um, working with devices. Didn't really have experience with devices other than in the inpatient setting. Um, and that's then kind of how I got into this. When I was a traveler, I uh, would just monitor patients in MRI specifically. That is why you guys saw me so much. <laughs> and uh, then I ended up getting hired on and now I work specifically with devices. I've been doing that for about a year and a half now. Oh, that's awesome. Right? Cool. My favorite question to ask all travelers is, where's been your favorite place so far? You said Alaska. Oh, Alaska. Definitely Alaska. Beautiful. It's usually it an easy beautiful. answer. Yeah. What yes. time of year did you go? Um, so I was there uh, February through June. So I got to see oh, okay. winter and summer a little bit. Um, I was there when it, for the start of the Iditarod, which was amazing. Yeah. So like the sled dog race that goes across oh, Alaska. Heard about it, yeah. yeah, it's a big party. It's awesome. Nice. Is it um, a party? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, a big party. A lot of drinking involved. Yeah, they have a what's called a trailgate, not a tailgate, trailgate. So they have <laughs> a 12 mile loop that they do around Anchorage. And uh, they set up in this random park, and it's there's literally a sign that says Venmo this dude, and he supplied all the kegs, champagne, everything. Oh, Some wow. random guy. You gotta and have so, that random so guy. There's right? all these homeless people hanging out. There's a DJ there. They made these stages out of snow, and it's like actively snowing during. Oh, oh wow! So fun, so fun. Wow. So um, yeah, it's gorgeous there. And I was I'm big into hiking and stuff. That's kind of the, mostly the things I do out of. Sweet, you just mentioned my backpacking recently. Yes, I did. Um. I'm curious, though, like you can get a DUI on a bike. Can you get a DUI on a dog sled? Because the dogs are sober. Dang, that's a great question. Right? Technically a movie. I don't know. I don't know. Definitely a snowmobile. That's a big thing out there. Yeah, right? (laughs) This is how my mind works. If you know the answer to that, please. (laughs) So and then, so after Alaska, one of your favorite spots, you came to Arizona is where Mm -hmm. we're at now. And that's where we met you. That's the facility that we're at now. And we've gone over this before, but if you haven't seen our episodes before, um, we're at a facility that's about a 250-bed hospital. Right. Uh, We're located in Arizona. And we do patients' uh, MRIs for conditional and non-conditional MRI uh, pacemakers. So. Right. Very different process for us, but it's probably kind of similar. Like, right? A lot of times when a patient hears MRI, they immediately think that they're not, uh, you know, eligible to have that if they have a pacemaker. But a lot of times they still are. Right. Uh, A Um, lot of the studies were mostly from like 2011 is kind of when they started doing all the broad studies uh, for this. Um, And because a lot of the problems they saw with devices were earlier devices. So um, anything prior to 2002 actually uh, were the devices they saw issues in because since then all of the production they've done in first like all of 
the device companies have been geared towards MRI compatible devices because all of our devices are put into most mostly older adults right or you know transplant candidates now it's pretty common that a lot of our transplant candidates they need cardiac MRIs so they've just gone ahead because initially it, it used to be controversial controversial between you know, Medicare reimbursement, stuff like that. They didn't put in MRI because they said as, as like an accessory that they didn't really, something they didn't need. Right. So it was cheaper to not put in a conditional device initially. But now that's what all of the device companies have kind of gone to is doing these conditional devices. It's more the standard of care now. And I'm glad you're covering that because that's the question I had for you. So um, what you're telling me, and I guess from what you just said, what my takeaway is that anything 2002 and newer is MR compatible. Not everything, okay. no. So um, it's prior to 2002, it, we would, that's kind of a hard stop for us. Um, granted, now, um, and with leads, leads are kind of different. So if it was a device itself, like the CAN, the pacemaker or defibrillator, if it was before 2002, that's a hard no. But devices last, like, at the most 13 to 14 years. Most of those devices or batteries are dead anyway. So that's not an issue now. Um Leads, leads are a little different. Leads would be okay. The reason that the issue is with the can is because in the older devices, they used to use a different uh, magnet function. So before the, um, 2002, they used what was called a reed switch, which was inside a, de- a device. So when a magnet was applied to it, it would be a switch that would change what the function of the device did. Now it's a sensor. So that reed switch in the early days would get stuck. So the reed switch would get stuck in this magnet mode and there was nothing we could do with these devices. Yeah. So we don't have that issue anymore. The reed switch is is out. Well, I keep saying devices too. So I know we call pretty much everything a pacemaker when you have some kind of cardiac implant. But there's there's several different kind of cardiac implants, right? Yeah, when you talk about the difference between maybe an ICD and a pacemaker, we hear about the two a lot. And we've got several different you know, implantable devices. I'll kind of start with the most basic implantable that we have. Uh, That would be like our loop recorders. So loop recorders, um, they don't do any pacing or shocking functions like a defibrillator would. All they are there for is just monitoring cardiac uh, rhythms. So they're just going to record. We put them in patients like that have had a stroke and we don't know why, or they're having syncope and we don't know why, or palpitations. It's just like a constant telemonitor. They put it underneath the skin, um, and it's an outpatient procedure. And so with MRIs with those devices, uh, one of the things that we see with those is it can kind of clear the data on those devices. So we come in, we interrogate those devices, we get if there's been any episodes, and that's it. it Yep, they're all compatible. Um, We have two device companies that have, or excuse me, three device companies that have loop recorders. That's uh, Medtronic, Biotronic, and St. Jude. Nice. And is there, are they pretty much all evenly used? I mean, do you see one one manufacturer? Yeah, yeah. Medtronic is the one that we see the most. Where Um, are they based at? Where are they based out of? Are they all out of the U.S.? uh, Medtronic is mostly in Minnesota. That's, I think, where their big big hub is, is up in Minnesota. Okay. Um, And then we have Biotronic. We don't see those that often. They're a lot larger than our Medtronic in St. Jude. Um, And I would say overall quality, um, you do see a little bit of a difference in the EGMs and the things that you get from uh, the different devices. But battery life and all that, Medtronic's kind of the one that's, started yeah, yeah they led they kind of put these in first so that's the one that we see the most of what yeah. about patients who are coming to us from outside the u.s maybe have had implants placed 
Do you see a lot of those? Um, we see some see some from Mexico, especially down here. Um, Biotronic, I would say, would be more that the international ones that we see, especially that would be more Europe because Biotronic is a German based company and they are private. Um, so a lot of our European people have. And this is the same true about that 2002 year Um, for outside the U.S. manufacturers. Uh, so the, the loop recorders are only, are you asking specifically about pacemakers or? Well, I know we're kind of bouncing back and back or back and forth. Sorry. But, no, um, okay. w- one question I wanted to ask is when you mentioned earlier about 2002 kind mm-hmm. of being your hard stop before or after, does that include outside of the U S manufacturers or just those three that you mentioned? Um, so for the loop recorders, loop recorders only last battery life two, three years. Yeah. So, um, honestly, and I think they've only been on the market since, uh, maybe 2013, 2014. So they weren't even making them back in 2002. Yeah, There's mostly some referring to like the pacemakers. Pacers. Yeah. Um, I, it's all, it's across all like Is all device paper? companies. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because I guess speaking of like history, mm-hmm. the Germans, were they like the first to kind of get the pacemaker thing going or would it? It kind of depends on where you look at your history. Oh. Uh, here in the U.S., <laughs> if you look at their history here in the U.S., it would make it look like we are the first ones. Oh. Um, so, because originally the guy that, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to blank on his name. I need you to look up the, uh, <laughs> the guy that started the uh, Medtronic company because he actually um, kind of pioneered the first devices. Um, but the first pacemaker that they had was surgically implanted it straight up had the leads directly into the chest poking out of the chest and it plugged into the wall um yeah so like if you had to take a patient for a walk they would unplug it run and plug it in so they could so they could walk yes um and then after that they realized that was really awful because then i think they had a power outage and they weren't able to you know power these so they decided hey we need to do something about this so they decided they need to go battery operated and um oh earl bakken earl bakken that's our dude that's our guy yeah 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 so um he then to get a battery powered device he kind of modeled it after a a radio um, that you could wear around your neck so um he then after now this is pre-fda all that stuff he's kind of modeled this thing and then within i want to say it was like a time span of a couple of weeks was able to put it into a patient and try it out. Yeah. So now with FDA, obviously that's not something we can do. It takes like years for all this stuff. I mean, Europe's kind of moving a little bit quicker than we are because their F their approval. Yeah. It's a lot different. It's a little bit uh, easier to get things passed over there. So, um, yeah, it's, and it, obviously we've come a long way since then. Um, right. One of uh, one of the docs we work with, he actually has a nuclear-powered uh, device. So one of the things in the Cold War, as we all know, technology, right. we were, you know, uh, going back and forth with Russia. The little do people know that actually pacemakers and devices were one of those things as well. Really? So they were kind of back and forth. With, with plutonium? Who, they used, uh, like, I actually don't know. That's interesting. So oh, he has, and those cool. devices would last anywhere from 30 to 40 years. So, um, yeah, which now, I mean, our average battery life now is anywhere from like six to 14 years, depending on what kind of device. And they don't have to be charged at all, right? No, nope. Uh, they tried doing rechargeable and that did not work for patients. Um, and it's surprisingly enough, patients would forget to recharge their device. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 
There's one question we had for you is what is the average life of a battery for pacemakers, SEDs? And so yeah, it kind of depends. So going back to <clears throat> us talking about the different kinds of devices, kind of yeah, went yeah. over loops. Uh, so pacemakers, implantable pacemakers, we right. have, um, there are different kinds. We have single lead. So some people just have one lead on their pacemaker. That can either go in the atrium, which isn't as common, more in Europe that they do that, uh, just put in a right atrium lead. Right. Otherwise, our most common single lead is an RV lead. So, um, those, yeah. And do you know the pathology associated with that? Like one, why they would do one over the other? Um, <laughs> so if a patient's like in chronic AFib, uh, there's no reason we need to be watching their atrium. We know right. they're in AFib. There's nothing we can do about it. They're going to have dyssynchrony anyways. So we're just worried about that RV lead. Right. Um, and so we just are pacing with that. Um, then we have, uh, another thing that we have, I guess, kind of on the single chamber devices is our leadless device. Oh, um, that would be our micra. That is like, it's the size of like a bullet. It's tiny. And, um, it just goes inside of, do you want to pull up a micra and show what they look yeah. like? They're pretty cool. Um, so screen on screen there, they, um, they have these little tines on the end of them that they, they get into the, the fibers and you can kind of see. I'll play so, that Medtronic's video. Yeah, so you can see the size of these guys. This is kind of the future where devices are going. Um, right now, we just have it yeah. as a single lead. Um, and it goes in for our patients, like I said, that are, you know, uh, AFib, chronic AFib. And, um, so people who are listening, so this video is just pretty much kind of showing the delivery device, right? The delivery. Yep. So this this is an outpatient procedure with um, the micro? Yeah, so it'll be a new implant. We typically, um, right now, we're doing same-day discharges for patients. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so trying to get them out the same day. So yet they're able to go in and put this little guy up in. I'm doing a cardiac cath uh, yeah. procedure. And, and that's how uh, a lot of our devices, or no, devices are put in up here. Um, but this guy is able to go in here. So the benefit of this micro is... Um, way less chance of infection oh, so yeah we a lot with our leads sometimes we see that we have we get a lot of infection risk when they do that they have to explant the entire system right. take out the leads and the device and then wait until they have negative cultures to then put another device back into the patient this minimizes that risk and then also the patient doesn't have the cosmetic of having to have a device right uh, on their chest to wear a swimming suit yeah and right? then people would have no idea they have a pacemaker how cool is that? That is really cool. That's awesome. Most recent advance with this, um, they just came out with a new one that can now sense in both the atrium and the ventricle. That's new. So it's going to be able to sense what's going on. So now not only is it going to be able to pace, but you can see what's going on in the atrium. So it's going to provide synchrony because a lot of patients, when they lose synchrony, they feel symptomatic. They feel full, like fullness. They want to cough. It just doesn't feel good. It doesn't... They aren't able to live their lives because they're symptomatic. But now with these new devices, they're going to be able to cause to have synchrony. And kind of the future of where we see this going is able to put a leadless in the ventricle and the atrium. And they're going to be able to communicate wirelessly. And these people can have MRs. Who have micros. They can. Oh, that's awesome. Additional device. Man. Yeah. They're really cool. And I believe I had heard that, you know, if this device didn't work or when this, this device dies, these guys are lasting... We haven't had to replace any of them yet. We're seeing anywhere from six to eight years for that. Oh, wow. Um, so tiny. Yeah. And um, that they can deploy multiple in there. So if they aren't able to get that out, uh, they can deploy two or three within that right ventricle and leave the other two in there. 
if they need to. That brings up a good question. How young can you put a pacemaker in someone? Like, does it really? We have uh, we don't have any pediatric patients here because we don't have a pediatric population. Um, but they can. But they can. They can. Huh? Yep. Wow. Some like a lot of our congen like congenital patients, yeah. young patients. They have heart failure. Like young kids that need transplants, they'll have defibrillators. Right. Um. So we don't see any here, but yes, young. I no, mean, I mean, as young as. Nope. And typically when they do them in a younger patient, they do them abdominally. So they'll put them oh. in that left abdomen as opposed to right up here because they don't have all the tissue that adults do. Right. So, yeah. Cool. Hey. So what that we talked about, leadless, single lead. Now uh, we have dual chamber pacemer, pacemakers. Yeah. that's our. I would say that's our most standard. Having a lead in the right atrium and the right ventricle. Mm -hmm. Um we have some that'll be like right atrium, left ventricle. That's if they have difficulty or they don't want to go through the tricuspid get, uh, valve. So right. we have some patients that have a lot of regurg and they don't want that uh, right ventricle wire kind of going through that valve because oh, they're having a lot sure. of issues anyways. Um, let's see. That's pacers. B-fibs, I guess? B-fibs, like... yeah. So, well, actually, we have uh, bi-V pacemakers as well. So those are our oh. three lead pacemakers. We have right atrium, right ventricle, and left okay. ventricle. Oh, nice. So okay. these are for our heart failure patients. They're right. cardiac resynchronization um, devices. Oh, so, CRTs. CRTs, oh, yes. So and you have means. CRTP, which is pacing, CRTD defibrillator. So oh. we have patients that just have the pacemaker that have IV and then pace, uh, defibrillator functions. So... Um, what that does is it helps with um, cardiac remodeling. So, our, you know, it, they've shown that some patients, uh, there was the David trial that came out that uh, with RV pacing only, that can cause heart failure for patients. Mm -hmm. So by providing either um, LV pacing function or um, now we're using HIS bundle pacing, um, and I'll get into that in a little bit, uh, but we can help with remodeling and prevent um, that you know, heart failure, that ejection right. fraction from worsening by having that left ventricular wire in there. Oh, sure. um, the left ventricular wire is a little bit more difficult to place typically. So it can kind of be, typically have a little bit higher outputs. We have to, it takes a little bit more oh, voltage to capture the muscle. For sure. Um, but so those are kind of, that's one of the newer devices that we put in. And then we talking about um, the HIS his bundle pacing. That's the newest thing that's out right now. His bundle pacing. His bundle huh? pacing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the cool kids are doing it, huh? <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really up and coming. There's only one lead that they have to do it right now. Uh -huh. um, so one company, Medtronic, has the 3830 lead that they put into the his bundle, and everybody's his bundle is can kind of be in a different spot. So they have to access it in a really strange way. Right. And pretty challenges for you. It is. It is. It's different. Right. It, it's a different way of running things. And because they've kind of rigged some of these devices into his pate, you don't know that's what it is. So, like, they're just randomly putting them in ports. And we don't have a specific his device yet. So, right. we're kind of like rigging all these random devices up at this <laughs> point. So, that's it is eventually going to become a thing. But it's to, uh, it's the same thing. It's supposed to possibly even be better than that by V pacing. That's what they're proposing right now, but we don't have enough info on that yet. Well, no, like as an MRI tech, one of the biggest things is when we have a conditional pacer, we pretty much have to stop everything, call someone to get it interrogated. So when you're interrogating the device, what sort of things are you looking for? So um, common, like what we do when we come in is in to interrogate 
a device in MRI suite and at any time. Um, So our common things is we're looking for device function first. We're going to test out those leads, make sure they're working as they should be. So we test to make sure uh, they're sensing appropriately. Sensing means that they're seeing any intrinsic activity. They're seeing its own, the own heartbeat if, right. it's, if it's present, if the patient isn't dependent. Um, then we're looking at lead impedance. Lead impedance is the uh, electricity as it's flowing from the can to, um, to the myocardium. So, you know, if there's a high spike in that, we're expecting there's maybe a fracture. If, there, if it's really low, we're thinking it's leaking out somewhere. Um, so, and then we also look at thresholds That's the minimum amount of like voltage or juice that it takes to capture the myocardium. So we check all of those things as like our baseline. We're also looking at how much they're pacing. Um, you know, if they're only pacing 0.1% or 0%, do we need to program them into a pacing mode during the MRI? Does it make sense? No, not, it doesn't. You know, we kind of have them as a backup mode. It's there if they need it, but likely they don't. Um, and then also, so if they're dependent, then we need to put it in a mode that they aren't sensing, that it's going to pace no matter what. Because a lot of the times during MRI, we're going to see EMI. Um, so electro, there you go, there you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I play a lot of Call of Duty. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we're looking that that's, the device is going to see EMI. So when a pacemaker sees EMI, it sees sensed events. It's sensing a whole bunch of stuff. So if it's sensing ventricular activity it doesn't think it needs to pace. On a dependent patient, that hold, withholds pacing. So if during you're doing a sequence that lasts, what, a minute and a half, it sees EMI that whole time, that patient will be flatlined for a minute and a half. Ooh. So we put them in a mode that it's not going to be sensing it at, at all. So when you guys hear AOO, DOO, VOO, yeah. that means it's going to be pacing either in the atrium, the ventricle, or in both at a set rate it's not sensing anything. It's just going to pace right through anything. And we do the same thing for surgery too, because cautery is another thing that we have EMI with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so similar thing there. But how, play, how, how big of a role does MRI play in your day-to-day? My day-to-day? Um, I would say, especially lately, we've been doing a lot. Um, right. There's a lot of more devices out there too, it I is. feel like. Huh? And there's a lot of behind the scenes that comes with it as well, like doing all of our workups and stuff like that. You have doing all the prep work of coming into doing an MRI. Right. Because it comes with, you know, the, the physician will put in the order and then we have to say, okay, is this device conditional or not? So right. conditional is, you know, that it's completely safe. Non-conditional is it's not 100% safe. So there are some factors in there that they're a little bit hesitant to um, call it conditional. And we say completely safe, completely safe under those conditions, right? Yes, yes. Right. If you follow this protocol, it's completely safe. Right. And you get the heads up on an outpatient, but let's say we get an order for an inpatient that has a pacemaker for an MRI. Mm-hmm. What's kind of your workflow for that? So, um, like I said, look up if they're conditional or not. If they're conditional, go ahead and we can schedule them. We have the device nurse come down. We interrogate the device, monitor the patient during, and then interrogate. They can go back up device is non-conditional, then uh, we have to send the ordering provider a risks assessment. All right. So um, in order for us to do an actual MRI, the, de- the provider that orders it have to accept the risks that could happen with a non-conditional device. Now that can mean, you know, movement or vibration of the leads that can, so which that can cause, you know, loss of sen- like sensing, capture, things like that. 
Because if you think that friction there at where they are, it's going to, yeah, yeah, that torque's going to pull and they aren't going to be able to function. Yeah. Another issue that they saw is power on reset, uh, which means that it can completely revert the settings of the device back to like backup settings. Now that was mostly seen in older devices. We haven't seen that, um, you know, in modern times ever, actually, since I've been working there, but it is a possibility. So once we send that out in the provider, says, yes, it's absolutely necessary, then um, they'll accept that. Um, in order to also see if they're conditional or not, the device needs to be in longer than six weeks. We don't do any on new implants. Oh, right. Um, they have to let the leaves kind of hold. Is that for or? scar tissue? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have to let that fibrous tissue kind of pull against there. Um, you have a little, but there's like a little corkscrew at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's, what's holding them in, in the initial implant. Um, an EP provider can sign off on that if they do think it's okay. Like um, yeah, if it's something. emergent, yeah, they right. can. Um, other things that we look at are, uh, if the patient has abandoned leads, if they oh, had another yeah. device and they just have some leads hanging out in there. Um, how then, hard is it to uh, get the leads out? Pretty it, hard if you got to leave them in there. It's pretty hard. Not. It's pretty hard. So being in on a lead extraction, um, when they pull those leads out, it's pretty crazy. It's like they lit they literally crank these things out, oh, and wow. so they have this little, you know, uh, pretty invasive. Yeah, Fishing, super invasive. Like <laughs> so they, you know, they did. You can. It's a crank. You can hear it, wow. and then you watch them. They do it on echo and X-ray, and you see them coming out, and so they can coil. So the issue that they can have is when they're pulling them out, you can tear the aorta. We have a. We have to have the uh, open heart team there and just sitting and waiting because if they do tear. They have to crack the chest within like, I don't know how many seconds and try and do damage control if they can. But so that's why a lot of times they just leave them because it's safer for the patient. So yeah. abandoned leads will probably pretty much take a conditional device into being an unsafe device. 100%. Huh? Yep. What's your role with abandoned leads? Do you still monitor the Are you still involved? Do you still so interrogate? So abandoned leads are abandoned. They are just there and honestly. They just sit there. There's nothing. I've never seen a case where they've had to go back and use those leads. Um, I mean, if anything, they're going to. are you involved with these MR cases with abandoned leads? Mm -hmm. I am. Yep. We do, yeah, we do quite a few of them. Uh, we have a couple of patients that come through fairly regularly for like, I don't know, annual MRIs or, you know, right. we have some that come through quite frequently that have abandoned leads. And they were, uh, they were initially, uh, they thought that it was going to be a lot bigger deal than it really is um, because right. uh, one of the studies that I was reading today, they, uh, they had said that, you know, they went back and then tested the leads afterwards. They reconnected them to a device and the only thing that they saw was an increase in threshold, but it was less than half a volt. So it mm. really wasn't very much at all. Well, so, one, one question, I guess, is if we have conditional pacemakers out there, why don't we just put them in everyone who needs a pacemaker? There's like only a certain type of person who qualifies to get a conditional pacemaker. Are they not as powerful as the other type of pacemakers? No. So uh, most of the new devices, the actual cans themselves are, but in order to make the device fully conditional, the leads have to be too. Right. So if we have a patient that comes in for a generator change, they have a brand new device that came in in 2020, but their leads are from 2007. The whole device is non-conditional. And, or, you know, like we were talking about then, you know, if they had to put new leads in and a new can, so all the leads are in can are from 2020, but they have abandoned leads from 2001 there, yeah. it's a non-conditional so it's it, and it's there's no middle ground it either is conditional or it's not so basically right. all of our newer implants are fully conditional but oh, nice. yeah and just for the mri technologist perspective what we do when we have mr conditional patients is we have 
uh, it's like they call it a superstar at our facility with um, basically somebody who would be considered an MRSO who would be supervising the exam. Yeah. Now for a non-conditional pacemaker or ICD, what we would have is physics involved. And yeah. they would be there to make sure that the parameters that we use are um, adjusted appropriately. Right. There's a lot of people involved in a non-conditional pacemaker. Like even the radiologists have to there's sign a team, off on Yeah, there's it a team of people that make sure that the patient stays safe and that, um, you know. Still a pretty big deal, except that Europe's been doing it non-conditionally for a while, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. We're the Wild West. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you guys change then when you guys are adjusting your settings and stuff like that? What do you guys change? Yeah, so well, we mostly look. Well, mostly what we're concerned about is SAR, which is the energy absorbed by the patient, right? And that's from the radio frequencies. Okay. And so, depending on what we're we're examining, um, where the pacemaker, you know, obviously is located, it sometimes it's on the left side, and sometimes it's on the right side. If we're looking at, or if it's on the right side, we're looking at the right shoulder. That's more concerning. If it was on the left side, um, we have physics to make sure that they were within certain parameters of that SAR limit. Right. So we pretty much have to keep it below, I want to say, two. Well, it can 100% uh, dependent on what it is, the yeah. manufacturer, the model, and what the conditional uh, limits are. So. Right. Um, you're asking what it is we're adjusting. We're adjusting the TR. We're adjusting the TE or the echo train link. We're adjusting all these things. It's probably a foreign language to you, but yeah, uh, probably 90% <laughs> of what you've said to me so, thus far is a foreign language oh, to me. Sorry. So. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for coming. I did want to ask, while you're here, um, we talked about what you do when you're interrogating the patient, but what, else, what are you looking for when you're monitoring the patient during the exam? So uh, we're looking for a lot of our patients we're looking for arrhythmias. Um, we do so, and I kind of really talk about defibrillators. That's our other kind of a oh, section yeah. of people. They're going to be a little bit more prone to arrhythmias now, not to say that our uh, pacemaker patients don't as well, but um, we're going to be turning off for our patients that have defibrillators. We're turning off that ICD. That's a hard stop. It's going to be turned off, whether that is, um, you know, a transvenous ICD or we have a sub-Q ICD as well. So sub-Q ICD is implanted in the abdomen and has uh, a lead that goes in uh, epicardially. So it doesn't actually, it has a lead that goes, you know, in between the sub-key tissue. Um, and so we're kind of looking for, they're at a higher risk for arrhythmias. They could have go into VT or VF. There's a reason they have the defibrillator. It could happen. Um, so that's what we're kind of, we're monitoring for arrhythmias, um, patient condition. Um, I think if any of the issues that we've seen with patients, it's been, you know, a, a drop in oxygen for some reason, laying flat for a specific amount of time. And oh, I'm sure right. you guys see that even then without patients, for you know, sure. patients that don't even have uh, right. devices. Yeah. Um, but we're also, let's see, arrhythmias and then any device uh, issues. So sometimes we can see some functional issues as well. Well, one of the risks that we put the patient into when we put them in these um, non-tracking modes or this pacing mode is it can pace on the T wave. So in our QRS of a, a normal QRS, you have QRST. If you pace on a T wave, it can put a patient into an arrhythmia. Uh, so by pacing through a, a, you know, a specific way, you can cause an arrhythmia right. by putting it in a specific mode. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're just watching patient. Yeah. Watching those squiggly lines. Watch it. Well, yeah, especially because <laughs> a lot of the times, especially when you do like anything thoracic, we see a lot of uh, interference on the uh, tele monitor. I wanted to ask you about that. Do you get a lot of, I mean, how does the MR environment affect the monitoring? Um, I would say anything thoracic, abdominal, cardiac, 
We right. see a lot there. Um, that's kind of why we put on the O2 sensor. We can keep the, watch the heart rate on that. And then you guys have yours on as well, which is actually super helpful. Right. We do pulse um, gating, um, mm-hmm. at least our facility. And uh, a lot of times the, that wave will be affected depending on what frequency we're running, depending on what sequence we're running. So awesome. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier was the HIS bundle pacing. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe you would go into detail about that if you will. If I can. <laughs> um, so they put it into the HIS bundle. What it does is it mimics what your intrinsic um, pacemaker does. So it's going to keep that QRS, QRS narrow. Um, and that's kind of the goal with this heart failure pacing. They're trying to keep it narrow. Um, the HIS is the best way to mimic that. But it is a really hard lead for the docs to put in. So they have a lot of issues with it. Is it a thickness thing? It's, it is. And the, the the way that it has to be put in, some of it, they can they have to go through their atrium. Some they have to go through the right ventricle. They have to find it. Oh. And it's kind of different in different patients. And the lead itself, I guess, when they're deploying it, it's kind of stiff. So I don't, I'm not in on necessarily, I don't go into the lab portion of them putting it in, just kind of hearing um, right. them talk about it. But so deploying it and putting it in and then having it stay there, it's a lead that commonly dislodges. So uh, we see that, that's why we we see our patients about one week and six weeks after implant to check and make sure that the leads are still where they are. Because a lot of the times we do see, uh, not a lot of the times, our docs are pretty good, uh, but uh, (laughs) we do see lead uh, dislodgements here and there. Right. And certain things can cause dislodgement that are kind of outside of their control too, right? Right. Yep. Um, And, you know, that's actually one of the things in MRI that could happen is a lead dislodgement. Right. So, yeah. Good thing you're there. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Save the day. Now, when you have a pacemaker put in, how does that change the activity of that person? Because they can kind of have an MRI as long as they have a conditional pacemaker, but mm-hmm. can they still go running and yeah, yeah. still have regular activity? Does they that can change still do everything prior to. Um, right after they get implanted, they have arm restrictions. So they okay. aren't able to lift on the side that's affected. So if they have a left-sided device, they can't lift their arm over shoulder height. Because they're for, at risk for that lead dislodgement. Oh. They're moving their arm up and down. It's kind of tugging. Haven't gotten the time to kind of take hold, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So um, they have that. But then after that six weeks, that healing period, they're good to go. We want them to be as active as possible. And one of the more common things we hear from our patients is like, oh, I don't even know it's there. Right. Which is the goal for some patients. Yeah, but some, you know, they obviously know it's there and they feel absolutely everything. And they get very anxious about them. Right. So. That actually is great. Uh Segue to my next question. Yeah. So what is it exactly that the patient would might be experiencing during either the interrogation process or the actual MR exam itself? Yeah, because I've heard them hum before when I got them close to the MRI. Uh, oh, they make yeah. a noise? Yeah. 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 Noise. So um, the Medtronic device specifically, when it's near a magnet, it has a magnet tone. So it's going to oh. let off anytime it's near a magnet. It's kind of a warning, a built-in warning, because on an ICD, it's going to turn off the defibrillator if you're near a magnet. Right. So... um. It'll, it'll make that humming noise. Right. Um, but during an interrogation, depending on what the patient's indications are, a lot of our patients will feel, um, if we're doing a sensing test, we have to lower their heart rate. And we lower their heart rate to 30 beats per minute. So they feel kind of awful. But some, some feel absolutely nothing. But some are like, I think I'm going to pass out. And then it, they only last a couple of seconds. But you're slowing their heart rate down to 30. Right. Um, and then, so another thing that they feel is our threshold testing. When we're testing that minimum voltage, eventually it's not going to capture. So they're going to flatline. So they're going to have no heartbeat for three or four beats. 
they may feel that sometimes right. patients kind of get a little, they close their eyes a little bit <laughs> and they kind of go over. You always want to make sure they're sitting back because if you don't come off of the, uh, the buttons very quickly, uh, <laughs> they, they, the yeah, they might fall forward. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't been lucky. I haven't had any of those issues, but it is a possibility. So that's a lot of the time what they're feeling when they're having the interrogation done. But most of the time patients don't know. They don't feel anything, right? Most don't. Yeah. Uh, but some do. I always warn them because you never know. All right. You know, I've seen sometimes um, you guys show up with a little handheld magnet, a blue one. Mm-hmm. What would you use that for? So um, we use the magnet. Uh, typically, prior to MRI, we don't. Um, but on a specific device, we do. Uh, it is the sub-QICD. So the sub-QICD is that one that I was talking about that goes into the abdomen here. Um, there is a a magnet test for that to make sure that it is officially off. So if we're doing a cardiothoracic or a thoracic MRI, we want to d- like double check that this device is off. There's a magnet test to do with it. That's then when we use that blue magnet. Um, typically, though, we only use the blue magnet. We do keep them all in our carts. But um, if we had to run to, say, the ED and a patient's getting shocked and it's inappropriate, they shouldn't oh, be getting a shock, throw right. a magnet on, it's going to stop shocking them. Oh, nice. Um, or if for some reason, say the patient comes out of MRI and their device went into power on reset and they're going at 40 beats per minute, if I throw a magnet on there, it's going to increase their heart rate to whatever device manufacturer it is. Medtronic goes to 85. Uh, St. Jude and Boston go to 100. Biotronic goes to like 96. And ELA goes to 89 or something. I'm impressed that you remember that. Me too. Wow. Yeah. So that's it's kind of a time. backup you know, function right. of the device. So we do keep them in there. We don't use them that often, um, but that would be when we'd use them for an MRI. So when we're pretty much prepping for MRI case and the patient has a defibrillator, those always get turned off. But pacers to get put in certain modes. Mm-hmm. So those modes pretty much have to get put back. The regular pacing yes. modes have to get back after the MRI. They do. Yep. And so that's then when we test afterwards. We want to make sure if there was any of that lead, that vibration or any of that, you know, torque in yeah, uh, in there that we want to make sure that's still functioning properly. There wasn't a change in sensing threshold, all of that. Um, and sometimes when we pace, uh, pace patients at that specific rate, it can lower uh, blood pressure. So if their heart rate's used to go at 60, we turn them up to 80 or 90 for a, a scan, their blood pressure could kind of tank. So another thing that we're kind of looking for. So you guys are obviously watching the blood pressure as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things that you guys are watching. So you're looking at the pulse. Pulse, the blood oxygen, pulse, oxygen, and then blood pressure. Is there any other cool technology out there you're looking forward to kind of seeing that's coming out or um, that you're hearing about or that you're seeing? Or? Uh, I think the lead list, I think, is going to be the coolest thing that's going to be coming out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do foresee uh, some more stuff with AI, actually. Oh. Um, one of the things that got kind of come or that's been approved recently is this 12 lead that puts... Yeah, like so so twelve lead twelve <laughs> lead is like your uh, your twelve lead EKG or oh, ECG. Yeah, yeah. So you know it has all the leads that kind of hook up to it. But it's going to use AI to look at this morphology and say this could be an actual problem that this patient has just by looking at the QRS. Oh. It's going to be hard to remember smoke over fire. <laughs> I know, right? With 12 leads. Yeah. 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 So it's more, uh, I guess, retroactive, huh? So it's going to be interesting kind to kind of see where, I mean, with technology advancing so quickly as it is, if I'm, I'm hoping that my job isn't going to be obsolete someday, but you know what I mean? <laughs> that they can do us. this yeah. all. Yeah, right? I was like, <laughs> we can do this all by machine and that we're going to be uh, obsolete. But as of this point, 
automatic testing for the device is still not as great. Like even case in point today, I saw a patient um, looking at the device. It looks like everything's perfect. It's functioning as it should be. Bring him in, hook him up to leads. Turns out this the, one of his leads isn't working at all. Oh, wow. But the device shows that it is. That so is. Yeah, pretty it's cool. Interesting. And there, there were some devices that you said that kind of go back into their, their own settings afterwards? Uh, so power on reset. That was the, uh, the, one of the initial things that they saw uh, adverse effects that were happening in the earlier devices. Um, and that's another thing that can also happen during proton beam. So, like, radiation is another thing that we do with oh, our Oh, so this isn't something that you want. No. Oh, no, so there, there no, was, no. that was that one thing, like, um, where their device settings would automatically go back. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I know what you're talking about now. I thought we were talking about the issues. Gotcha. <laughs> I bad. got you. No. <laughs> so, um, yeah, one of the things that some of the outside facilities do, we don't use it at our facility, but um, there is an MRI mode, and you can put, like, a timer on it. So you can put them in this mode for say, all right, I'm going to put them in. They're going to have a brain so or a brain MRI of what last hour, maybe, yeah, thirty minutes, depending. 40, yeah. yeah, right. So I'm going to put them in this specific mode for like three hours, right. and then it's going to automatically revert them back. So um, a lot of the outside facilities use uh, device reps to come in and do their programming, and so they have to run and they cover an, like an entire area. So they'll do that. And oh, but then, those are probably inpatients too, huh? So they're probably constantly could monitored be, by the nurses. And it could be outpatients too. Oh, okay. um, so yeah, they put them into these settings and that's a lot of our conditional devices. Um, I think a lot more facilities are starting to do non-conditional devices, uh, but the conditional ones, they're going ahead and they aren't having them being monitored. They're just going ahead, putting them in these specific settings and then it's automatically going to revert in so many hours. So you just got this amount of time. You have to get this patient scanned and then... Yeah, they'll do it kind of kind of like we do as we'll go into, you know, the, the what is it, zone two? Yeah, zone, zone two. two. So we'll go not into quite the, zone three. Not quite zone three. <laughs> <laughs> Only the specific few get into wow. go to zone three. <laughs> that, that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they'll go in and they'll see them you know, right before they go in just to make sure because obviously they don't want them to get canceled or they don't have them go in and do it before. I think in the initial stages, they could even program like, hey, I'm going to see them in a week at, okay, they have an MRI scheduled at this time. They can specifically say, okay, at 7 a.m. on such and such date, it's going to go into AOO for six hours and then turn out. But then the issue with that is, okay, say something happens in MRI, it gets pushed back. It's, you know, there was a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of variables. So that didn't end up working out. People don't use that as frequently as they do with just the going in right beforehand and then doing the programming. Oh, nice. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. We're we're pretty much wrapping up. One question I did want to ask though is, is there much hope for patients who do have pacemakers to have them removed based on progression of treatment? Getting devices removed, um, oh. like just completely and not needing it anymore. Like no longer a necessity no for it. Ooh, um, you know, rare. really most of our patients, once they get them, they have them unless uh, it's a defibrillator patient or patient that's getting a transplant. So then they'll take out the entire device. Um, otherwise, some people, it's kind of elective. We get some of our older patients, you know, that are kind of towards the end of their life and they're like, you know... I'm just good. Like, right. I don't want to replace it kind of thing. Right. But most of our patients, once you have it, it you have it. There's not really, line, yeah. It's, gets close yeah, yeah. Once it's covered, it's one of those things that they don't put them in. There are all, the, all these different classes that they have to, you know, qualify for with reimbursement and stuff like that. They're pretty strict that once you get it put in, it's really hard to get them taken out. It's pretty rare. So, 
Uh, yeah, once you once you got one, you got one. But they're getting better and better. Technology's getting better, so most people don't know they have them. Yeah. Well, you're awesome, Megan. Thank yes. you for joining us today. Is there anything that you think we haven't covered today that you think is probably important to? No, I think we did. I think we got yeah, it all. I think we got it all. I can't say it enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Yeah. No problem. Um, one question we do like to ask all of our guests, um, and I, I don't I normally we prepare them for it. I'm sorry if we didn't. Got <laughs> you ready? <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> what do we got? We just like to ask, what is what would you say is the most satisfying or fulfilling moment in your healthcare career so far? Oh. You can't say the Alaskan. All right. Well, they, I did her. I, that wasn't exactly a healthcare moment, like <laughs> drinking out on a trail on a snow <laughs> on a snow stage, listening to like EDM music. Um, let's see. Um, you know, honestly, it'd probably have to be working with devices. So, um, getting called in, like being coming in to see a patient, especially like, um, just trying to think off the top of my head, like coming into the ED, um, and seeing a patient that's in VT. So one of the cool, like it's not necessarily cool for the patients, but one of the cool things we get to do is somebody's in VT or VTAC. Um, we get to come in and we get to try to pace them out. So we're going to try to break the cycle length, pace faster than that VT. If we can't, then we're going to have to shock them. So if some of these patients feel absolutely miserable, and so then getting them out of that rhythm. And then if you can do it with pacing so they don't actually have to get shocked, you can pace them out. They're like, thank that you. Relief. Yes, ah. because the shock, um, a lot of people, I, or I hear them say it feels like uh, getting kicked in the chest by a horse. Ooh. So it's pretty intense. It's not just like a little jolt. Like it's a straight up shock. Like people come out of their bed kind of thing. sound effect for that, getting kicked in the chest by a horse. There's a video for that. I don't know if you've ever seen There's a really old YouTube video of that guy that got kicked in the chest by a horse. Oh, pull it up, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's old. Go big screen, like, screen on screen. You know the deal. <laughs> oh, maybe it's face. It might be that. Um, I would definitely need a pacemaker. Go big screen, screen on screen. I don't know which one it is. It's been a while. Does it matter though? <laughs> he gets thrown. Like, I mean, there, obviously, there's sound. plenty of them. It's not like an uncommon thing. Let's watch it. Are they pretty bad? Viewer's discretion is advised. Oh! Viewer's discretion is advised. If you have small children right now, please <laughs> cover their eyes. And yes. if, if so we this could is give like, any medical advice, we would say oh. wear your mask and don't stand be behind six the feet, right? Six, <laughs> feet. six feet. Keep your six feet. <laughs> <laughs> and that includes horses. <laughs> well, good. Thank you, Megan. Yeah, yeah. Great. You're awesome. Thank you for coming. We hope to have you come back again someday. Um, and thank you for watching. And thank you for subscribing. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Please hit like. Please hit that, all those things that YouTubers tell you to do. Um, Check out some of our other videos. I'm pointing in the air because it's going to be somewhere around here. Because that's what YouTubers do. Yeah. Megan, you want to point? Yeah, come on. Hey, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there you go. It's somewhere. <laughs> hit a link, people. Hit like. Hit subscribe. Thank you for watching. Thank you for coming, Megan. Zone 3 Podcast, we are out. The information and comments provided in the Zone 3 Podcast and website are not intended to be technical or medical recommendations or advice for individuals or patients. The information and comments provided under the auspices of Zone 3 Podcast and their guests are of a general nature and should not be considered specific to any individual or patient. Whether or not a specific patient is referenced by the physician, technologist, individual, group, 
or other entities seeking information. Zone 3 Podcast may provide links or references to websites. Such links are provided as a convenience to our listeners seeking more information on topics. These websites are not affiliated with Zone 3 Podcast, nor do they endorse or manage content discussions unless otherwise stated during recording.